Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the most central points that Seneca is making in his work on the shortness of life is indeed not just that life is short, but that time is something that we typically don't value as we should. And if we understood things rightly, we would see that time is the most precious thing of all for a number of reasons. And I think the place to begin in this work is in chapter three, where he starts it by saying, though all the brilliant minds that have shown over the ages agree on this one point, they could never adequately express their astonishment at this dark fog in the human mind. Calignum is fog or smoke or obscurity there, and then mentium in human minds. No one lets anyone seize their estate. So property is something that we value and protect. If a dispute arises about boundary lines. There's a rush to arms, but people let others trespass on their existence. And by this, he doesn't mean, you know, threaten their life as such, because we do respond to that. But the day-to-day living, we let people cross over and take part of what belongs to us. He says, rather they go so far as to invite in those who will take possession of their lives. You'll find no one willing to distribute his money But to how many people each of us shares out his life? In drips and drabs, we give portions of our very existence to other people. People who we wouldn't give a dime to, let alone a dollar or a large amount of money. And he says, people are thrifty in guarding their private property. But as soon as it comes to wasting time, they are most extravagant with the one commodity for which it's respectable to be greedy. So you shouldn't be greedy with your property, with your wealth. You should have the right attitude towards that. But you should be when it comes to time. Why? Well, To begin with, it's continually dripping away. You're never going to get it back. Well, maybe you will. We'll get to that in a moment, the way in which that's possible. But you're never going to get your life back. You're always moving forward into a future in which your death is approaching you. And it could be tomorrow that it's going to happen. Or it could be years from now, but you spend those years and then it becomes tomorrow. So if we jump ahead to chapter 8, where he discusses this at a greater length, he says, I'm astonished when I see people requesting the time of others and receiving an accommodating response from those who they approach. Why? Both sides focus on the object of the request and neither on time itself. So we think, oh, you know, I'm being asked to do this thing for somebody. I'm being asked to give my time to this particular activity over here to help somebody out, right? And we don't think of it in terms of the time 
itself, which is what they're really asking us for. And he'll go on and say that people trifle with, they make light of the most precious commodity, re pretiosima, right? So does this really translate necessarily as commodity? No, it could just be the most precious thing, the most valuable thing in the world. And he says, why do they do this? Well, because it's easy to focus on what's tangible, the things that we can actually see, the things that we can bring before our eyes, or at least successfully imagine. He says, you know, for example, people set very great store by annuities and gratuities. And for these, they hire out their services or efforts or attentions. People care about property and money and stuff like that, but they don't do this with time. Why not? Because time is immaterial. It escapes their notice because it's not something that we can place right in front of ourselves. And, you know, we could say, well, I can look at my calendar. I can, you know, set up a schedule. I could like look back at my old diaries or my journals or something like that. And I can see the passage of time. Yes, that's all true, but you can't see time itself. And yet you're in it, you're swimming in it. You're moving forward in it towards the future, leaving the past behind in this little thing that we call the present. And he goes on and he says that a lot of people, they value time as if it was worthless. They think they have plenty of it, right? Ah, I've got time to spare. As a matter of fact, later on, he talks about other people who are trying to, as we say in English, kill time, right? They're trying to while away the hours so they can get to the thing that they want to. He talks about, you know, there's an announcement about a gladiatorial show that's going to be on. And we can think about all sorts of other things. Ooh, you know, this movie is going to be coming out. I can't wait, people say. And they try to figure out how to burn away that time. You know, back when I was in school, I remember us being bored a lot and being like, when will three o'clock come so we can get out of here? What can I do to take my mind off of this boring thing that I'm supposed to be listening to? Well, that's wasting time, right? And so he goes on and he says that no one values time. All use it more than lavishly as if it costs nothing. Now that's the normal way of doing things. Then he says, when there's mortal danger threatening us, we get sick. We're on a ship that's bouncing around on a stormy sea or pick whatever else it is. He says, mortal danger threatens them. You'll see the same people clasping their doctor's knees. If they fear a capital charge, you'll see them ready to spend all they have to stay alive. There is a great conflict in their feelings or sentiments or ideas about something. So when crises hit, suddenly the time is valuable. Otherwise... Not really. And he suggests that if we could actually see time, you know, past and future, we would in fact act differently. If, if time was more tangible to us, then, you know, especially if we knew exactly how much future we have left. Now we can make projections and I'll just say as sort of a side note on a personal level, I am in my fifties. So I'm in middle age. And I remember how much time I wasted in my teens and 20s and 30s and even in my 40s, right? And when you turn 40, given a life expectancy of maybe 80 years, you're like, well, 
half my life is gone. I've got maybe half of it ahead of me. I can still do a lot of things. When you get into your 50s, now you're definitely on the shorter side of things. Seneca himself is writing as an older person about this. And he's writing to a friend who is preoccupied with his job monitoring the granaries and imports and stuff like that. Now, back to this, right? So if we could see time, we would act differently. He also talks about this funny phenomenon of wanting to bestow our time on our loved ones. And this doesn't mean just like spending time doing nice things for them. He talks about it in this way. He says, People will say to those they love most intensely, they are ready to give them some of their own years, as if you could transfer time from one person to another. I will have 10 years less, you will have 10 years more. That doesn't work because that's not part of the metaphysics of human nature, we could say. But we can end up wasting our time, he says. They do give them without knowing it, but they give in such a way without adding to the years of their loved ones, they subtract from themselves. And this very point, namely whether they're depriving themselves, eludes them. And so they can bear the loss of what goes unnoticed in the losing. No one will bring back the years. No one will restore you to your former self, he says. Time, the, the passage of it causes no commotion at all. It will call no attention to its own swiftness, right? So we really ought to, given these considerations, value our time much more highly. And one way that we can do this, Seneca is going to suggest, this is something we'll talk about more elsewhere, is by doing philosophy. He tells us, and this is one of the most striking passages in this work, of all people, they alone who give their time to philosophy are at leisure. They alone truly live. Why? Because it's not just their own lifetime they watch over carefully. They annex every age to their own. All the years that have gone before are added to their own. So whereas with our loved ones, even if we want to, we can't actually give them some of our years. It is possible to receive years from other people including other people who are long dead. And we do this by making their time our time. He calls this the sole means of prolonging mortality or transforming it into immortality, right? And he talks about nature allowing a shared possession of any age. Why don't we turn ourselves from this short and fleeting passage of time and give ourselves completely over to the past, which is measureless and eternal and shared with our betters? This is one of the things we can do with philosophy. And he urges his friend at the end, while enthusiasm is still fresh, those with an active interest should progress to better things in this mode of life, much that is worth studying awaits you. What does practicing philosophy consist in? Love and practice of the virtues, forgetfulness of passions, knowledge of how to live and die, and deep repose or rest. So it is possible to have more of this commodity by, so to speak, borrowing or inheriting from others who have given us the possibility for this. Most people don't do that. Most people fritter away their time 
And what erodes it is going to be something that is a term that he uses over and over and over again in this piece, which is typically translated in English as being preoccupied. The Latin is occupatus for a masculine, occupata for a feminine. And it means being busied with things. Even if you're being busied by enjoying the pleasures that you've set up for yourself. He tells us that some people turn their very leisure into preoccupation. And preoccupation is the biggest thing, he says, that robs us of our time right? He tells us days are present only one at a time. These only minute by minute, all the days of time past will attend you at your bidding if you want, but you have to have a tranquil mind. Preoccupied people can't do that. Preoccupied people can't even adequately study arts or disciplines. And so, you know, what do these people do? They take this most valuable thing and they value other things more highly and they become preoccupied with them and they lose all that time that they had in the process. So Seneca is counseling us. We really need to pay attention to this all the time, pun intended there, like every single day, we should be reminding ourselves that life is short and it's too easy for us to lose time in ways that are not making good use of it. And we're exchanging this most precious commodity for all sorts of other things that if they matter, they don't matter as much as our time. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.